This is It's PR Darlings, a podcast all about the dark arts of public relations, publicity and all things media. My job is to make TV great and my job is to give you that opportunity to deliver that on a platform, which is Studio 10. Join us to learn more about the world of PR and how it can help build your business. Really, it's those first three or four PARs that I'm really interested in. Those are vital. And if you're just starting your PR career, then come along for the ride. We're speaking to all kinds of journalists, producers and industry professionals. And it was obviously a tense and sensitive time during that time. A lot of emotion, isn't there? Absolutely. And for me, there was a couple of days where hearing one tragedy after another. I'm Greer Quinn from Forward Communications. And I'm Jo Stone from Sticks and Stones PR. And together we are your PR darlings. Sorry, I'm back. I just had to, a little one, he's just banging on the floor. So hopefully you won't be able to hear that in the background. (laughs) Sorry about that. Don't worry, we're used to all of this. It's totally fine. Welcome to It's PR Darlings podcast. We're your hosts, Greer Quinn from Forward Communications. And Joe Stone from Sticks and Stones PR. We're both former broadcast journalists who now work in public relations. As communications people, we usually recommend our clients avoid using industry jargon, as it tends to be quite exclusive language that alienates people from outside your particular line of work. But ironically, PR and media people have their own extensive jargon list. As part of our mission to demystify the dark arts of media and PR, Each episode is brought to you by one of these weird little words or phrases. Today, we've decided to shake things up a little and get our guest, Studio 10's roving reporter, Daniel Doody, to do some of the demystifying. Daniel is a recent recruit to the national program, kicking some amazing goals very early in his career, having cut his teeth in regional journalism. He's out in the field every day, so he's up to the minute with the latest lingo. And Daniel is going to tell us all about grabs, IFBs, eyelines, and we'll get him to do a throw at the end of the show so he can explain what that is too. If you don't already follow Daniel Doody on Twitter, we highly recommend that you do. His broad smile and outgoing personality literally make you want to dance and giggle with him. Thank you for dropping by on its PR Darlings podcast, Daniel. It's so good to have you on our show. Thank you so much. I really appreciate uh, you inviting me, Gria and Joe, and I'm looking forward to having a nice good old chat with you both. A good old chin waggle. Absolutely. <laughs> let's start off by just telling us a little bit about your job and why you decided that you know journalism was the gig for you. Yeah, so um, I've been in the media industry for about six years now, and uh, when I first started off, I've always, I always wanted to be a a TV reporter, and so uh, prior to that, I was watching and consuming a lot of news and current affairs, and I thought to myself, hey, I could do that. That's something I could do, right? Meet people, chase a story, put it looks all together. glamorous. Yes, look glamorous, <laughs> look all pretty for the TV. And so I thought to myself, you know what, why don't I just study journalism? Uh, so I uh, went to Maclay College in Melbourne, studied journalism, got my diploma of journalism and uh, just started looking for jobs uh, as an intern in the industry uh, six years later. Uh, I landed myself a role with Studio 10 on Network 10. 
So can you tell me what your average day looks like as Studio 10's roving reporter? So I uh, I wake up uh, early in the morning along with our 11-month-old Reggie. He also wakes up too at the same time. (laughs) (laughs) Always a joy. Yes. (laughs) Oh, especially at that young age. So we both wake up together, get on my electric bike, um, so I don't know if uh, if you want to say that I cycle. I sort of tell people, oh, yeah, I cycle to work. And then I say, oh, but I have an electric bike. So I don't know if you can count that. Uh, it's all exercise. It's it all- counts. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I hop on my bike. Uh, I then start to print out um, all the stuff that I've researched in terms of uh, the story uh, that I'll, I'll be heading out to um, on the day. Um, I then uh, get picked up by the camera operator and then we uh, head out uh, to the location where the story is uh, and then I start to uh, figure out, okay, how can I make this dynamic? How can I make this fun, upbeat? How can I make the talent, which is the person that I'm interviewing, feel comfortable um, and make them at ease? And uh, and then once, that, uh, once I'm on, it's just uh, action. And it's all go, go, baby. So who decides what you're going to be covering for the day? Yeah, so it's a, it's a mixture of um, myself and other producers uh, of Studio 10. So we work in a week in, in advance. I already have next week's live crosses already sorted out. So I'm always working a week ahead. Some of the other days, the producers will, will ask me and say, oh, Duty, do you have... Tuesday available or Thursday three free because we found a story for you. So there's uh, quite a few, there's quite a number of producers that work on the uh, Studio 10 show. So they also find stories as well as myself. And what kinds of stories do you like to cover? Is there anything in particular that you really love? Yeah, so I love covering the community feel-good types of stories. I love meeting different types of people within our community. We are in a multicultural society, so it's it's just so heartwarming and so great to see uh, people that are passionate about a certain product or a certain cause. And I just love to go out and meet people and give them the opportunity, give them a platform to spruik their idea, uh, their product, their group, their organisation, and just really find that upbeat feel when it comes to uh, that community So when you were reporting for the ABC, you were doing a lot more serious things too, weren't you? You did the bushfires during 2020. Can you tell us, you know, where you were and what you saw and what that experience was like? Yeah. So yeah, I was working for uh, the ABC South East newsroom. We had a little newsroom in Bega. There was about 10 of us um, in, in different roles, features reporter, news reporters, presenters, producers, and I was a uh, I was one of three news reporters. I was mainly behind the camera um, uh, covering the the bushfires across the southeast. Uh, we were focusing in three local government areas, which was the Snowy Monero region, the Yurubadala, and the Big Valley. So that's what that was our focus. And it sort of really took me aback during uh, New Year's Eve, uh, and and a few New Year's Eve twenty nineteen, and then uh, a few weeks after that into twenty twenty. Uh, it was a surreal moment. 
Um, but, you know, we, we, we did our absolute best to really provide that vital information for communities down there, really um, working together as a team, uh, going to different areas and different towns, making sure people were okay first and foremost, and then just warming up to them, letting them know that we're here, that, you know, we want to hear your story, we want you to share your story, and, you know, we weren't pushy or anything like that whatsoever. And I was, I had already been living in the area um, nearly nearly three years. So for me, in a way, it was okay to, uh, to, to go up to someone because I, I knew quite a bit of people within the community uh, and it was obviously a, a really tense and sensitive time during that time. But we managed to, um, as a team, really, really come together, really provide that information. And um, uh, it's a lot of emotion, isn't there? Absolutely. And for me, there was a couple of days where it was, you know, hearing one tragedy after another and I'm not just talking about the loss of life I'm talking about people losing their homes being burnt to the ground losing everything and you know there was a couple of times there was a particular town where I would go up and I would hear um, people's stories and just one after the other it was just absolute devastation and people understood yes we've lost everything but you know what we still got our lives it's just going to take a long time to recover and get back into the swing of things and because they knew my character they knew who I was they could really confide in me they could they knew that I had a sense of empathy and I was with them all the way it wasn't about first dibs on a story or being pushy with a story or anything like that, I just sort of left that aside. It was more that community spirit, are you okay? I'm here if you need me. Uh, and really just taking off my reporter hat and just being being amongst the community and making sure they were okay. That was my sort of angle. And it was it was in a way I there was days where I had a couple of days off. And you know, you think you think to yourself, you sit down and you think okay, you're surrounded by fires, it's still burning, there's smoke in the air, you can't breathe, you're sitting at home. My wife, she was at the time, she was um, about 10 months pregnant. Oh, my God. Um, so I was, I was worried and I said to her, look, um, you can't be here. Um, I know what I'm going to do. I, I had uh, my bushfire evacuation plan in place um, and my plan was, if the fires were going to come through to be uh, through Bega, I would. My, the car was already packed. I would go to the evacuation centre. That was my plan. So I told my wife, Joe, um, you need to go stay with my parents in Sydney. And Sydney wasn't um, any better anyway because the whole state was was covered in smoke. Um, but she travelled to Sydney anyway. She was mainly indoors, uh, and I was home uh, with our two dogs and the cat. And I was scared. Yeah, I was. I was absolutely scared. But and and how did you balance that? Because obviously, there's a lot of emotions going on. Um, your wife's heavily pregnant, and you're still needing to get behind the camera and report. You obviously had an extraordinary community spirit and sense of compassion for what was going on, but you were also involved and perhaps scared yourself. Oh yes, absolutely. Don't get me wrong. I was, I was, I was very scared. I was. There was days where. <sighs> sorry. 
Oh my gosh, I'm oh, so sorry. Daniel. Oh, Daniel. It's been a terrifying time. That's okay. Yeah. That's okay. One, one yeah. second. One second. Okay. One second. We're pausing the podcast here for a moment to talk about the issue of trauma for journalists because it's something that's very unseen and it's rarely spoken about publicly. We actually offered Daniel the option of removing this section of the interview, but he graciously says he doesn't mind having people see him as vulnerable and human. Journalists and media are often on the front lines and are witnesses to some of the worst suffering of humankind. According to the DART Centre for Journalism and Trauma, more than 80% of media will be exposed to traumatic events while doing their jobs. For most, that exposure can be frequent, repeated and prolonged with devastating impacts on mental health. Then there's the violence, intimidation, verbal or physical threats, harassment or personal attacks that can also accompany the job. The media regularly report on violent murders, traumatic deaths, catastrophic events, devastating natural disasters, brutal wars and car accidents. And as Daniel points out, sometimes it's the sadness and suffering of those left behind that can leave the most lasting impact. And there's also the events that aren't reported on that can haunt journalists, things like suicides, off-limits domestics or crimes without charges. And then there are the ethical and legal restrictions around reporting that can limit what can and can't be made public. And this can really play on a reporter's mind, particularly if someone has been brave enough to come forward with their personal story. It's important as a community that we remember the pressures journalists work under. This is a reminder that we're all human beings and for the large part, journalists are doing their best to tell the story they're seeing and hearing so their audiences can be informed. This is all done under really tight deadlines and conflicting priorities. You might think the role of the journalist is glamorous and that reporters are invulnerable, but that's not the case. Research shows that if someone is exposed to trauma and then greeted with hostility, the effects of that trauma can worsen exponentially. On the flip side, if the person suffering is immediately provided safety and support, the chances of them developing a more serious form of PTSD decrease. I'm reminded of the words of the late Robin Williams. Everyone is fighting a battle you know nothing about. Be kind always. And that's what Daniel says too at the end of our podcast. The Dart Centre has many resources to help media deal with trauma exposure of many kinds. It's also a good resource for public relations professionals who can sometimes also be at the coalface during a disaster and may need to help journalists they're working with or might need some support themselves. That's so true, Jo. Um, PR and comms people are often right there in the trenches too, and there can be stigma in these roles around reaching out for help. Journalists are expected to put on a brave face to deliver the news, and PR and comms people feel that they're the ones that are meant to be holding the fort for their clients or organisations. And both professions have been trained not to make events about themselves or become the story, so the risk of hiding their own pain is actually really high. So as well as the Dart Centre, there are other resources too, including Lifeline and Beyond Blue, and we've put the links in the show notes to these resources. And we want to thank Daniel for the role he played to provide updates on the bushfires that helped keep viewers safe and for his genuine love of the Bega community. So let's return to the podcast when Daniel's ready to speak again.
think this is something that people also don't realise. Um, journalists behind the scenes are humans as well. And um, sometimes the media are maybe criticised for doing the job that they're doing, which is very important and also relates to the safety of many in the community by informing. And the ABC, I know, played a crucial role, particularly in the regions. Um, so absolutely hats off to you, Daniel, and the team behind you during that time. And I'm so sorry that, yeah, you went through this. Yes, that's right. We um, It was a fantastic team and we were really um, sort of together in this. And, you know, I my hat's off to the team. We did our absolute best to provide as much information to the people's of of the southeast of New South Wales, the community, um, just to make those really important decisions. And when I wasn't working, I'm also an SES volunteer, so uh, I donned on my orange uh, uniforms, looking like a carrot. Wow! On the other other days, that's amazing. And the community spirit that you have, obviously with SES and reporting as well. How did you go um, transitioning from such a regional um, role, so close to the community at the ABC, to then going into commercial TV in the big city, Sydney? Yeah, it was. uh, well, Gria, Joe, I basically can just adapt to uh, anywhere where I I, um, I base myself, and because I had um, I grew up in the western suburbs of Sydney, but I hadn't lived in the area for thirteen years, so I basically have come. Uh, there was a, just a, a bit of a gap, um, and so I, I came back and. I was. We were down in Bega for about three years. We loved the being surrounded by national parks, close to the beach, um, and then coming to the Big Smoke. Yes, it was a, a bit of a change, but you can't have it both ways. And at this present moment, I'm absolutely loving the job at Studio Ten. Uh, three months to this day, and. Um, Fantastic. Yeah, so good. Yeah, I'm having a great ride. It's been fantastic. Everyone at Studio 10 has been so welcoming from the presenters to the uh, to the producers, to the camera operators, the technical staff, uh, and it all it all comes down to my boss Tamara. She's the one that approached me last year and and uh, asked me if I wanted to to join Studio 10. That's so good because there's a bit of a blurred line these days around being a reporter and being this public figure. You know, there's some good and bad things about having a public profile, for example. I mean, you know, is it good? Is it all about um, good seats in restaurants? <laughs> I wish it That's was. if you can go Wait. out. <laughs> send, me your, uh, send me your ticket. Send me your invite. Send me your reservation. Look us up. <laughs> no, it's it's not all that, but you've got to be very careful um, in what you, you do. Now that I have this public uh, presence, especially on TV, um, being – uh, doing live crosses uh, every day, Monday to Friday. So, yeah, you've got to be very careful how you act. But I knew taking this role that, um, you know, I'll be subject to uh, criticism. Uh, as long as it's constructive, I'll accept that, not a problem. But it's the moment when you, uh, you're being, 
um, how can I say this? It's the moment when you've been unfairly targeted uh, and that person who's doing that doesn't even know who you are. And, Absolutely. Um, it's, and- it's, really, it's really tough too because you do really put yourself out there on your social media and on your live reporting um, and people do forget that you're a human being. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I I copped a lot of uh, criticism when I first started. Um, pretty much Studio 10 was going through a different change. And I came during a time when that change was, hap- was happening and a lot of uh, their loyal fans started to become keyboard warriors. And we know what keyboard warriors are like. Uh, they wouldn't say it to you. Uh, coming to you up on on the street and and tell you to your face, they would obviously do it behind their phone or on on their laptops or the computers, and and um, it was very nasty. A, a lot of uh, really nasty comments, really personalised um, attacks towards me, um, and then I just sort of switched off. This was mainly on uh, the social media platform Facebook, and mm. so this was when I first started. Because I just wanted to see how people would react to me being on the show, um, and uh, well, there's, there's nothing worse than change, you know. Especially in the media, nobody likes change in the best of times. But I think in the media, I remember people would call up back in the day before social media. People would call up and say, "I don't like that woman's jacket," and now now it's just like a two second you know, quick text that they can send and just kind of be quite hurtful without even thinking about it again. Yeah. So at least in the past, they had to actively make a decision. They were going to call. They were going to have to look up in the white pages, the phone number. <laughs> They're going to have to track you down. They really get that in there and that jacket is terrible on you. <laughs> it's actually yeah. ridiculous when you think about it, these trolls. Actually ridiculous. And I'm sure many of our listeners are wondering how they can make it onto Studio 10, especially that you are covering such upbeat stories and generally having a very positive uh, approach to the stories. What are the best ways for them to craft the pitch? Is there a cost involved? How does it work? Yeah, so it's a bit of a bit of both, uh, to be honest. I guess uh, any organisation that is wanting to collaborate with Studio Ten uh, and they have the budget to do so, please get in touch because we would really love to work with you. I know that uh, a couple of months ago we did quite a few stories uh, with Visit Victoria. They had uh, an itinerary uh, worked out for us. Um, and then myself, a producer and a camera operator, we just toured different areas. We went to wineries, we went to uh, regional areas, we went to the main city. Uh, so, you know, you, we can get uh, organisations to collaborate with us if they have the budget to do so. Um, but also, um, we work with uh, charity groups and so forth. Um, there are some organisations and some people who are passionate about a certain topic that may not have uh, the budget, but if they have a cracking story that they think, oh, this will uh, excite TV audiences, my job is to make TV great and my job is to give you that opportunity to deliver that on a platform, which is Studio 10. So do you cover stories from all regions or do you have a particular zone? Yeah, so pretty much um, I guess at 
at this present moment with the COVID situation, it's uh, it has been a bit tough to go interstate, but there is opportunity opportunities to uh, visit other states, uh, international, so go overseas as well. I am based in Piedmont, so in the city. So I uh, I have had the opportunities to go outside of the city and in, into the suburbs and visit other different communities. So it's not just all Sydney centric based stories. It's the 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 wider the wider community, the wider region. So in regional areas and in the suburbs. And there's still quite a bit of controversy around how PRs send their pitch. Why do some journos, can you give us the lowdown, why do some journos prefer not to receive PDFs or even media releases as attachments? Oh, I love it. Keep sending them through me personally. I I don't mind uh, getting... Oh, that's refreshing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's so refreshing. That's good. That's good to hear. Look, I don't mind PDFs or attachments. Really, it's those first three or four pars that I'm really interested in. If you've got the, those three or four pars are, are vital in, in order to get that that pitch that story across the moment that it says oh uh, uh, and a new new data has been released with so oh and there's a percentage of this you know it's already oh I'm already like I've already switched off you, you need to really be descriptive use a lot of color and why why should why should audience care especially for studio 10 we're a national show so we really need to do our best to try to adapt to a national audience and it's just really important that the first three or four pars are, are critical to really get that story across. We, for Studio 10, we love to have case studies, you know, making sure that, oh, we have such and such available to do the interview, location as well. This is the idea. And uh, Gria and Joe, you've seen my stuff. You know that I'm always wanting to throw myself in a particular story. So I love to get involved in, in a particular activity or so forth. I don't want to just stand there with with the person the, that I'm you're interviewing. Up for water, you're up for water skiing and, you know, yes, all kinds of absolutely. dangerous activities. Oh, well, I'll stop at bungee jumping, I think, and skydiving. <laughs> I think that's that I'll, I'll, I need to set set the bar set, and, and set Slightly. a line. <laughs> I, I think well, I did see you singing in a boat the other week. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes, I like to sing and gallivant here and there. Yeah, I don't mind it. I'm having fun and I, I hope it comes across like that as well. So, Daniel, you really do live up to the title of roving reporter. As you said, <laughs> that you're doing live crosses every day. Um, what are the ups and downs of being on the road so much? So uh, pretty much you always just have to be switched on. You always um, – you always have to um, make sure that you know what you're talking about. You know what the subject is about. You know who you're talking about. You've got your IFB on. Are we talking about that yet? You've yeah. got- oh, we've got to save it to the end. We keep oh. that ready for your IFB. Yeah, you've you've, uh, you've got your earpiece on. You've got your microphone. You've got the camera there. You're travelling to different locations. There might be gaps in between your crosses, but you still really need to um, be upbeat. You really need to make sure that your crosses are different, your questions are different. You're doing something slightly different. You don't want it to be the same. Uh, so it's 
but by the end of the week, you look back at your week, for me at least, I look back at my week and I think, wow, I've met some cracking people. I've done some really exciting things this week and I look back on it, on it with fond memories and I think, oh, I would love to meet that person again and I hope I do. So there are things, you know, it it, it can be the – the the down part is maybe the logistic logistical things behind it so setting up the story and 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 finding the stories but when you do by the end of the week when you look back you think wow i've had an awesome week and i've been with studio 10 for 3 months and every single week i look back and i think wow that has i've had such a fun week i want to do it again come around sunday i think to myself I'm going to work tomorrow. Yes, oh, I want so to go good. to work tomorrow. <laughs> that's so good. And I think so I, I think it is, it's one of those wonderful things about journalism, isn't it, that you're meeting these incredible people and you're getting these amazing experiences that other people wouldn't really see every day. What do you think are the biggest misconceptions people have about the media, that people outside the media have about the media? Yeah, so I think a lot of people... They're scared of the media. They think they're going to make up false reports um, about a particular person or... No, it's so true. People actually fear the media. They fear the media like they're some kind of authority figure or something. But, you know, the media industry can provide that change, you know, but it all all comes down to trust and it's a two-way, it's a two-way stream, you know. The media has to have trust within that person or that organization or that story and vice versa that person or that organization has to have trust with within the media and you really you really need to find that balance and it's all about building that rapport um you know the the work that I do yes I'm I'm there in there finding community community stories upbeat feel good stories but I still need to I still need to develop that rapport with that person. I still need to develop that trust with that person, uh, knowing that, hey, I, I trust this reporter. He's going to do a good job. He's going to really, um, really shine a light on on a particular product or, or thing or organisation that I'm doing and he's going to do it justice. He's giving me three to four minutes to shine and I'm really going to plug it. So, you know, I always really do my best to try and build that rapport from the moment I speak to them over the phone or text message with a few emojis. I really make mm. them feel comfortable. You're, so, you're super, super warm in all your interactions, but you're also very well known for being so vivacious on screen and you recently appeared in a bigger production of Mamma Mia. Do you think that this performing arts background that you have and also those killer dance moves actually <laughs> help when it comes to working in upbeat TV and and in some cases some of the advertorial as well? Yeah, absolutely, 100%. You've, you, you hit it on the nail there for sure. I, yeah, as you said, I've got a performing background. So I went to a performing arts high school uh, for year 11 and year 12 in Sydney. And growing up, I've always wanted to be a rock star. I wanted to be the next Bon Jovi. Um, but here we are. <laughs> I'm a Studio 10 reporter and that's the next big thing, baby. <laughs> and, um, yeah, so having that background as a performer does really help my 
the, the, the role, the job that I'm in at the moment. I've always done musicals, always amateur productions, and I have been for the last, uh, oh, how old am I? Oh, I'm, I'm aging. Uh, for <laughs> It's shocking, isn't it? It's shocking when you age, but I'm aging gracefully. So I've always done musicals and I have been for the past uh, 20 years and I absolutely love it. Daniel, thank you so much for your insights today. Um, really, it just sort of showcases your versatility and your warmth as well. And we really appreciate you coming on to its PR darlings. But please stay with us because we really want to talk some jargon. we'd mix it up this episode and let our guest tell us about the daily dialogue he uses that makes no sense outside the industry. So let's do a throw to roving reporter Daniel Doody, who's already been out field reporting all day. Firstly, Daniel, can you explain what a throw is and why you're so often asked to write your own throws? Yes, so pretty much a throw is... Uh, the introduction for the presenter when they uh, are about to throw to me. When I'm producing a story, I often write my throws for our presenters who are fabulous, Sarah Harris and Tristan McManus, and uh, it gives them an idea of where I am, what I'm doing, and it's easier for them to just throw to me. And then I, at least I have an idea of because I've I wrote my throws, so I, at least I know exactly what they're saying, and then I could react to it much easier for me. And what would it mean if I said, "Hey, Daniel, can you cut a grab?" Oh, I, I know what you're saying. You're talking my language now. <laughs> <laughs> so basically, a grab can be anywhere from ten to fifteen seconds, and um, they are also known as sound bites, and they're grabs of um, a bit of audio from a couple of sentences that they said that could help with your package, which is another word. (laughs) Um, What is a package? So package is, uh, so it's a TV package which compromises uh, TV pictures, so visual pictures, uh, as well as your voiceovers, your voice uh, which you've recorded in the audio booth that will go over the pictures and it compromises grabs so grabs from the talent that you've interviewed today and that you combine all that put it all together in a nice formatted script once that's done you've you've uh, completed your tv package and what is your ifb my ifb so basically it is an earpiece that um, goes into my ear, obviously, and I could hear the the whole show, which goes live to air, in my ear. And basically, it gives the uh, the producers in the control room um, the ability to talk to me in real time and say, "Right, duty, you've got three minutes before you're on," and so they can just do a countdown. Duty, how long? Uh, do you have for this cross? So I can communicate with the control room and I could hear the show at the same time. I can't see the show because I don't have a screen, but I could hear the show and I can hear what's going on. That's my IFB. There's probably- it's, a real, it's a real art to be able to um, listen to what's coming in your ear and continue speaking at the same time. Yeah, absolutely. Because when I'm live to air, I've got roughly around three anywhere between three to five minutes. So I'm speaking or doing something 
uh, with with the talent and I have the earpiece and I have the control room saying, okay, you've got 30 seconds whilst talking, trying to remember the next question that I'm going to say. Uh, and then I have the ca- camera operator looking at me, giving me signals. So it's really, it's really, it's all happening. Your adrenaline is, uh, is on high and you, yeah, you just got to, really go with it because live TV, it's exciting, it's fun, but there's a lot that goes on that people just, yeah, don't don't know. Absolutely, and it's the excitement of not knowing what's going to happen next with live TV. Oh, yes, yeah, there's <laughs> been a few moments. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and another favourite that only someone who works in film and TV would know, what would you do if I said, hey, Doody, can you give me an eyeline? Pretty much if there was, uh, say, for example, there was a politician and um, you're standing behind the cameras, the camera operator might say, oh, can you just give me an eye line? And you make sure that the your eye lines are level so it's straight horizontal with the camera so it's not tilted. So the, does that make it sense? So, yeah, so that, so that the talent doesn't look like they're looking up at the journalist. As a tall journalist, I've spent a lot of time, you've got to stand there with your feet slightly apart and, and, or in a half squat position, which can be very painful in high heels. Yeah. <laughs> to, to oh, I know what hold, wearing heels is like. Yeah, <laughs> to hold the position to make sure that the, the talent's looking you in the eye. Um, yeah, and it's a, it just makes, the, um, just makes the interview look better too, doesn't it? Absolutely. Um, and Listen, for, con- thank you. for context, Daniel just did a story where he was doing some pole dancing in this as part of the story. Yes. And, um, oh. and he did a story on pole dancing as exercise, wasn't it? And That's so that, right. Yeah, yeah. So and I was, <laughs> yes, I was wearing uh, six-inch stiletto heels, or uh, they're known as platforms, and oh. they're, they're quite popular to wear uh, amongst the drag community. Uh, but I didn't break my neck, so that was good. And... Uh, I quite enjoy well, wearing them. <laughs> you're a, you're a better than me. Yeah, I was going to say you're a better man than me because I tell you that I'm wedges all the way <laughs> these days. I'm too old for high heels. It might be a safer <laughs> option. <laughs> hey, listen, thank you so much for coming on to its PR darlings and, and helping us really bridge that gap in understanding about PR and the media. And we know you've already had a massive day, so thank you. Our listeners are going to adore this episode, but before you go, what's the best way for our audience to connect with you? Yeah, absolutely. If they want to get in touch uh, uh, via Twitter, you can find me at Daniel Duty with the numbers 101, or you can find me on Instagram. Just uh, type in my name, Daniel Duty, and I'm holding a radio. And I just want to say um, be kind to everyone. Peace. I love you all. Take care. Oh, nah, nah.